You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll continue our series titled New with part three, the way to move into new. In this series, Bishop Van will analyze the biblical story of the transition between Moses and Joshua and conclude how we should act in the face of change and the importance of embracing what God has called us to do. Let's get started. Hey, happy Sunday, family. Thanks so much for worshiping with us on today. I sincerely pray that you have already been blessed by our time of worship, and I pray that you are ready to jump into the Word of God. We are in a teaching series called New, and we are spending the first several weeks of this series examining what's most important for us to do or to understand in order to prepare our hearts for the new that God is doing. Now, I've shared in previous weeks that having a mindset to go back uh, to what we used to do or the way things used to be is not the right way to think about where we are. It's pretty clear from everything that we have been experiencing that God is doing a new thing or new things, plural, which means that our most important priority is to prepare our hearts to participate in what God is doing. Many, many years ago, there was a groundbreaking book called Experiencing God, and I'll never forget it because it radically changed my life. And the simple premise of that book by Bible scholars was that if you really wanted to experience God, you needed to join God in what He was doing. What they basically talked about is how the fatal flaw of believers is that often we'll have our own stuff over here and we'll want God to come and join what we're doing or to bless what we're doing. And they argued that that's never worked in terms of experiencing God. But instead, if you really want to experience God, don't ask him to join where you are, join what you're doing. But instead, find out where he is, find out what he's doing and join him in that work. That's the way to experience God. Well, it's clear what God is doing. It's something new. And so family, our responsibility is to join him in this new that he is doing. Now, in order to do that, we first must have the right heart and the right mentality. This is why we are spending these weeks looking at how to prepare for the new. This is also why starting on Sunday, September 26th, we're going to go on a seven-day prayer and fasting journey. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, you can go out to our Breakthrough page, our Breakthrough Prayer webpage. You can go out to the TWC homepage. Let us know that you're going to go on this fasting journey. And then what we're going to do is we're going to send you a seven-day prayer and fasting guide. It's a new guide that I have written specifically for this time, and we're going to give it to you for free. It's absolutely free. Just let us know that you're going to go on this journey, and then we're going to send it to you for free. It's that important. I'm super excited about this new, and I know that our seven-day season of prayer and fasting is going to be critical to us getting prepared to join God in what He's doing. Now, if you got your Bible, or if you're following with us on the app, or if you've even got your notes, I want you to join me in Joshua chapter 3. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, we are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for this new that you're doing. And so, God, I sincerely pray as we want to prepare our hearts to join you, as we are preparing to go on this seven-day Uh, prayer and fasting journey, Lord, that you would do the work in us. 
Remove whatever needs to be removed. Touch whatever needs to be touched. Shift whatever needs to be shifted so that we are ready to join you in this new work. God, we don't want to miss you. So, Father, have your way in our life. And, God, I thank you even now for this time of teaching. I pray that you would speak to us as only you can through the power of your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Joshua chapter 3, and beginning at verse number 1, it says this. It says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all of the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. If you drop all the way down to verse 15, the A clause also tells us, now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Family, as we continue to examine how to prepare for the new, let's spend some time this morning studying this passage with this thought in mind, the way to move into the new. The transition in leadership from Moses to Joshua is substantial, and it is also symbolic of the nation of Israel moving from one season to another. This is why when the book of Joshua opens in Joshua chapter 1 and in verse 1, it opens with God declaring that Moses is dead. As a matter of fact, the book of Joshua opens with this. It says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. Now, the way that the book of Joshua opens is very intriguing because at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses dies and God allows the nation of Israel to mourn for Moses for 30 days. But then after the 30-day period of mourning is over, God shows up and then says, Moses is dead. The people already knew he was dead. They had been mourning for Moses for 30 days. But then the first thing God says in Joshua 1 is that Moses is dead. God does this to signify that the season for the Israelites, that Moses season was over. And that under Joshua, they were moving into a new season, a new time, the new, if you will, that would require a new heart and a new mind. See, there's a big difference between Moses and Joshua. Moses was able to see further than he could go. God allowed Moses to go to the top of the mountain and look over and see the promised land, but he was not allowed to go into it. Moses was able to see further than he could go. But Joshua, watch this, was able to go further than he could see. Joshua had been Moses' assistant for all of that, that time of wandering in the wilderness. He was just there to help Moses, assist Moses. He didn't have a big grand vision for his life. He was a leader and an assistant and a helper to Moses. Moses could see further than he could go, but Joshua 
would end up going further than he could see. If you put this in a contemporary context, then it means that the Moses generation or the Moses mindset will see further than it will go. While the Joshua generation or the Joshua mindset will go further than it could see. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. So let me just tell you who you are. You are the Joshua generation. You are called to have the Joshua mindset. This means God will take you further than you can see. I got to announce that to you. I know that you probably got your life all scripted out. I know that you've planned uh, the next maybe five to seven years of your life. I I know that you got your plan, but I'm here to announce to you this morning that God is going to take you further than you can see. God wants to take you further than you planned, further than you've imagined. God wants to take you further than you can see. Now, I recognize that for some of you, that might scare some of you because, you know, we don't like going places and we don't have a roadmap. But here's the thing. God will never leave us blind. He will always provide the instructions we need to move into where he's leading us. That's the significance of this passage we're looking at this morning. Joshua and the nation of Israel had never been this way before. All of this was new for them. And God shows them the way to move into the new. And the same way that was important for Joshua and the nation of Israel in Joshua 3 is the same way that's important for us as the Joshua generation, those of us with the Joshua mindset. So how do we move into the new? God lays it out right here. First, we move into the new, number one, with obedience. Obedience. The first thing they do is they camp at the Jordan River and they camp there for three days. And for those three days, all they did was look out across the land and across the Jordan River. God literally wanted them to just camp there and look at or contemplate what's possible for three days. What are you looking at right now? Are you dreaming or are you grieving? Are you contemplating what's possible or are you complaining about all of the problems? God says, I just want y'all to camp there and I want you to look out at the Jordan River. I want you to look out at the land for three days. And God gives them a clue to what's possible because the Jordan River that they're looking at that's right in front of them, it's at flood stage. And here's the thing. It only floods at harvest time. Oh, that's a good word right there, because because this is how you know that you've entered into a new season. This is not just the season to sow. For many of you, this is the the season to reap. This is harvest time. And what's been really interesting, you know, about this last year and a half that we've been living through is that God has been proving this over and over and over again through the testimonies that I've received. Yes, this has been a challenging time. Yes, we have lost far too many people to COVID. But you know what's been so encouraging to me? As I've been talking to people and praying with them and checking in on them, you know what's been a constant testimony from so many people? In fact, it's almost been the dominant testimony over and above all of the COVID stuff. 
It's been this testimony of how God has been moving in this season. I've spoken to people and they said, you know what? Uh, this COVID season has been the most profitable season of my business. So I've spoken to people and said, man, Bishop, God has done more in this time than, than he's ever done before. God has enlarged my territory. Why? Because yes, it's the Jordan River. Yes, it's, it's, it's overflowing. That's a problem. But it only overflows when it's harvest time. But then God says at verse, in verse number three, and then he says it again in, in verse number nine. He begins to give instructions about how to move into the new. He says, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, he says, you ought to move out from your positions and follow it. And you go on down to verse nine. And so Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Parasites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. He says, see the ark of the covenant of, of, the, of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. And the family, the ark represents the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, on the top of the ark was something called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat really kind of looked like a crown because kings wear crowns. And we know that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, Jesus is more than just Savior. He's not only our Savior, He's also our Lord. That's what the crown around the mercy seat or the crown that they put on his head. It was a crown of thorns. That's what it represents. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's about his authority. It's about his power, which means that we're called to be obedient to that. Now, many people know Jesus as Savior, but the problem is not enough of us know Jesus as Lord. As Savior, it's all about what he did for us on the cross, how he saved us, how he gave his life for us, how he is the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. That's all about Jesus as Savior. But when you know him as Lord, it means something different. It means that you not only are thankful for his saving power, but when you know him as Lord, it means you submit, you obey his rule, his will, and his way. Even today, you know, when you come into the presence of a king, if we were to go to uh, England, we recognize that we are supposed to bow because that bowing is about um, humbling and honoring and submitting and obeying the authority of that king or queen in the notion of uh, Britain. But the point is this, Jesus as savior, was what Moses' ministry was really about. Everything about Moses' ministry pointed to Jesus as Savior. Everything about the miracles that God performed during Moses' leadership or tenure was about Jesus as Savior. For an example, the Exodus was but a picture of Jesus bringing us out of darkness into the marvelous light. The Exodus is also an Old Testament picture of baptism. And we know that once we accept Jesus as Savior, we then get baptized. The parting of the Red Sea also continues that picture of baptism. It's pointing to our identification with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
When God provided manna from heaven, that points to the reality that Jesus is the bread of life. When God brought water from a rock for the nation of Israel, that also points to the fact that Jesus is the rock of our salvation, the chief cornerstone. It reminds us what he told the woman at the well, that when we drink from him, we will never thirst again. Even when God led the nation of Israel in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, All of that points to the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so I give you those examples because I want you to understand that all of the miracles that God provided during the tenure or leadership of Moses, in essence, pointed to Jesus as Savior. And that's great. That's the way we all first meet Jesus. When you first open your heart to Jesus, we greet him. We get to know him as Savior. But we're not supposed to stop there. We're supposed to move into this place of maturity and obedience to him as we embrace him as Lord. This is why Joshua is in the position he's in and why God tells Joshua to tell the people, listen, when you see the ark move, you move. Now, get this, family. There was nothing supernatural about the ark. There were no thunder clouds or bread falling from the sky. In fact, the ark was literally made by men. But God says, pay attention to the ark because by now, if you are going to move forward, if you're going to step into the new, you should have a greater level of obedience, meaning you shouldn't need all of that stuff by now. You shouldn't need miracles and signs and wonders. You should be ready now to embrace the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to obey. Now get this family, the cloud crowd don't get to possess the promise. Only obedient people do. Now the cloud crowd, they saw mighty miracles. They, they saw God move in miraculous and supernatural ways. But get this, they all died in the wilderness. It was the obedient people under Joshua who actually crossed the Jordan River and possessed the promise. That's a word for us, family, because it's real easy to get stuck in the cloud crowd, to, to need the signs and the wonders and, and the emotional goosebumps uh, in order to trust God. But, but listen, when you are stuck in the cloud crowd and you need that, you end up moving from one thing to the next and often miss the greater thing that God wants to do. In this new season, in this new that God is doing, listen to me, God is looking for and raising up an obedient people who have matured to the point that they really don't need all of that. Why? Because they embrace the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when you embrace the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that means whether there's a miracle or a sign or wonder or not, you will do what God asks you to do. You will go where he tells you to go. Your, your obedient submission, your heart is God, whatever you want me to do, just tell me and I'll do it. You don't have to open the sky and part the Red Sea. I trust you and I'm obedient to your will and your word and your way. This is so important. I got to say it again. The cloud crowd don't get to possess the promise. Only obedient people do. You know, Jesus, in fact, deals with this in John chapter 20. It says, then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus says the greater blessing are those who don't need miracles and signs and wonders to believe me. He deals with this again in Matthew 12. And it says this, it says, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, 
We want to see a sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's telling the Pharisees, you all want signs. He says, but, but I'm looking for in this new season, obedient people who don't need signs because they trust me. They have my word and they will follow based on this. You know, one of the most important ways that you examine your life to determine if you are really in the place of obedience is you answer this question. Who's following who? God says to Joshua to tell the people, when you see the ark move, God says, so when I move, you move. I'm reminded of that old song by Ludacris, just like that. God says, that's what I want you to do. When you see the ark move, then you move. But in many of our lives, we have to really answer this question. Who's following who? Because the truth is, when God moves, often we're moving in an opposite direction. Now, many people will say and think that they're following Christ, but in reality, they've really only invited Jesus to follow them because we've got our own agenda. We're going in our own direction and God is moving in a totally different direction. Many people, in fact, are living an inverted gospel. They call Jesus their savior, but they've yet to really surrender to him as Lord. That's why the ark is the key to all of this. God says, when you see the ark move, that's when y'all move. Wherever the ark goes, you go. God is saying, you got to obey me in this new. You don't know where you're going, but, but if you follow me, if you follow the ark, if you obey me, obey my word and my will, he says, I'll take you where you are trying to go. God knows how to lead you into this new for your children and for your marriage and for your future, but we have to obey. So how do we move into the new? Number one, obedience. But number two, consecration. Because when you drop down to verse five of Joshua three, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So get this family, anytime God is about to do something amazing and new in our lives, he will call us to consecrate ourselves to him. But notice what Joshua says. Joshua says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. Look at this. God is going to do the work. That's a word for so many of us, because often we try to do God's job for him, but we've got it backwards. God wants to do amazing things for us. That's his job, not our job. Our job is consecration. So if we do our job, Guess what? God will most certainly do his. That's why we're going on this seven day prayer and fasting journey, because fasting is a part of consecration. But you know what? Before I give you the details of what consecration really is, let me give you a, a few things that consecration is not. Consecration is not logging on and watching church every week. Consecration is not um, giving God the tithe or an offering. Consecration is not serving on the dream team. Consecration is not leading a small group. Consecration is not raising your hands when you worship. And consecration is not even attending growth track, whether it's in person or online. Now, all of those things are great and important, but none of that stuff is consecration. Consecration is deeper and more meaningful 
than just doing the right things. As a matter of fact, the word consecration means to set yourself apart. Consecration is about a full devotion. Consecration really is about dethroning yourself and enthroning Jesus. Consecration is literally the process of stripping all of your interests and completely surrendering to all of God's interests. I love to say it this way. Consecration is going all in and all out for the all in all. This is why we fast. This is why this seven day period of prayer and fasting is going to be critical. Now, over the years, because we believe in fasting here at the worship center and over the years, whenever I teach on fasting or talk about fasting, it never fails. I have people who will come to me or reach out to me and say things like, oh, Bishop, I just can't fast. This is too hard. I don't want to do it. And what I often share with them is this hard truth. If you are full of yourself, you will never be hungry for God. In fact, that's so good. It's a hard truth, but let me say it again. If you aren't hungry for God, it's an indication that you are full of yourself. But if you will empty yourself and consecrate yourself, the good news is that God is going to do some amazing things. So how do we move into the new? Number one, starts with obedience. When you see the ark, just follow it. Nothing supernatural about that. Just, just obey the will and the word of God. Number two, consecration. God says, consecrate yourself, set yourself apart, go all in with me. He says, cause I'm getting ready to do some amazing things. But then thirdly and finally submission. Here's what God tells Joshua to tell the people. He says, give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. It was harvest season and the Jordan River was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarathan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Now, family, let me break this down so that you get this last point on submission is needed for us uh, to step into the new. God instructed the priest. He said, carry the ark. And he said, step into the water. Now, before we go any further, I think it's important for you to know who the priests are. If you're going to figure that out, go with me to first Peter chapter two, because in it, it says, but you are not like that for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So, you and I as believers, as a faith community, we're the priest. And what God says is God tells Joshua to tell the priest, go stand in the river while it looks like nothing is happening. In other words, family, if we're going to move into the new 
it means that we're going to get cold feet first. If, if you're going to follow God into this new, it means there are going to be plenty of moments when you will get cold feet. The priest had to carry the ark while the Jordan was at flood stage and they had to step into the river. They were getting cold feet. That's why the Bible instructs us to walk by faith and not by sight. Family, if you have cold feet about going forward and stepping into the new, listen to me, that's not a sign to go back. It's actually an indication that you are following God. Now, the Bible says that when the priest carrying the ark stepped into the water, that something began to happen. The water began to be cut off all the way back at a city called Adam. Now, why is this important? Because we know what happened with Adam and Eve. God told them to do a certain thing, to eat from any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they disobeyed God. They chose the way of the flesh. They saw the tree from the knowledge of good and evil and processed that it was good for eating and desirable for gaining knowledge, and they made a decision based on their flesh. And so in Joshua, when it says that the water was cut off, going all the way back to Adam, that's important because what it means is that in this new, as you're crossing into the new, what has to be cut off are fleshly decisions, fleshly responses, acting out of your flesh, being driven by your flesh or led by your flesh. That's what got Adam and Eve in trouble in the first place. And so God says in this new, as you're crossing into this new thing, this new season, this new land, I got to cut off that because your flesh is not going to help you with where I'm trying to take you. And then it says it started the water being cut off at a city called Adam. That's important because that points to the flesh. But then it says it flowed all the way to the Dead Sea. Now, this is important because in the Dead Sea, um, nothing can survive. The Dead Sea does not support life. The Jordan River flows all the way through and empties out in the Dead Sea. Why is that important? Because that is a picture of us dying to ourselves. This is why um, when John the Baptist was baptizing, he was baptizing in the Jordan River. When Jesus was baptized, he was baptized in the Jordan River because the Jordan River that flows into the Dead Sea is symbolic of us dying to ourselves. So let's put it together. When the priests who were carrying the ark stepped into um, the Jordan River. First, it stopped flowing at a city called Adam, meaning God says, I got to cut off your behavior by the flesh, your activities by the flesh, your fleshly thinking, your fleshly mentality and mindset. That's not going to serve you going into the new. And then it flowed all the way to uh, <clears throat> the Jordan River that flowed into the Dead Sea, which means also in this new, we've got to die completely to ourselves. It's not about us. It's not about our will. It's not about our agenda. We've got to die to self. And so God tells Joshua, you tell the priest, go step in the water and just stand there. While all of this has taken place, symbolic of what needs to happen in our hearts as we move into this new. How do we move into the new? Or the way that we move into the new? Obedience, consecration, and submission. That's how we move into the new. We're going to obey the word of God. We're going to set ourselves apart and consecrate ourselves, but then we're going to submit. 
Lord, it's not about our flesh. It's not about our agenda. It's not about our wants. We're going to die to self because it's you that's going to lead us forward. Wow, what a word, family. Obedience, consecration, and submission. That's the way that we move into the new. You know, hopefully this message has challenged you and penetrated your heart. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is preparing to do some great and amazing things. But there are some things that he needs from us. This is why we're going to go on this prayer and fasting journey. This is why we're taking these several weeks to prepare our hearts for the new. And I pray that your heart is open for that. I also pray that if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this message, I talked a lot about Jesus and, and even how he is pictured and, and represented in the book of Joshua and in the Old Testament because it's all about him. So if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to open your heart to him. If you don't have a good church home, well, guess what? That's what the worship center is here for. We're here for you. I pray that you would make those decisions because that's a part of how you prepare for the new. God has got new in store for you. But for many of you or some of you, it starts with opening your heart to him, receive him as savior. Then if you've done that, it starts with you getting connected to a great church home. Listen, we love you. Can't wait to see you next week. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Bishop Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.